0: Everyone's familiar with the argument that free markets prove to be better markets. More growth, more flourishing, everyone fares better economically. But Dr. Jeffrey Heyman makes the argument that free markets also help preserve the moral order in a society. In this episode, Dr. Heyman provides a a convincing case for the value of free markets, both economically and morally, as well as a helpful commentary on what we should expect in our economy in the US in the coming years. Dr. Heyman is currently the dean of the School of Business at Cedarville University, but he has all kinds of credentials and degrees from a career in the Air Force and education and economics. Most relevant is his PhD in economics, as well as several publications in the field. I'll link to his bio so you can learn more about Dr. Heyman. If you're interested, check out the notes in the podcast. My brother Cole took several of Dr. Heyman's classes at Cedarville, so he's joining us for this conversation as well. I'm your host, Landon Buto, and this podcast is provided by Cleveland Street Mortgage in pursuit of our mission of helping people to cultivate wealth and property in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please enjoy this week's conversation, and remember that if you're interested in getting a mortgage with our team at CSM, or if you know someone who will be getting a mortgage soon, connect with us at clevelandstreet.com.
1: Well, Dr. Heyman, thanks for joining us today. Um, I really enjoyed your essay on uh, free markets as an example of God's common grace recently and specifically you claim that free markets help preserve the moral order. So I want to have you unpack that a little bit but I want to get just a good grasp on the nature of free markets versus the alternatives. So can you start up by just explaining what the key elements of a free market are and what the alternative to a free market is?
2: Sure. And first of all, thanks for having me on your podcast. And and more importantly, thanks to all you listeners that are out there, because I know your time's precious and giving me the time to listen to my arguments is a cost. Economists know there's an opportunity cost to everything. So thanks for listening. Hope you'll find this beneficial. So when we think about free markets, uh, first of all, what are they you've asked? And, and I think that's a really important question, because uh, t- in today's uh, world, we certainly have a cultural moment where the idea that capitalism somehow has a bad reputation because uh, many people uh, will say, look at what's going on in America. And that just shows how capitalism's wrong and free markets don't work. And, and, and the reality is uh, this is not, we don't live in a capitalist country in terms of a, a true free market. And, and so, so th- what we have is, is a mixed economy. For instance, when Joe Biden is, is putting trillions of dollars in green energy steering capital, towards certain sectors of the economy and literally trying to destroy other sectors of the economy, that is not a free market. When the Federal Reserve is printing money by keeping interest rates artificially low, as they did for the previous decade and a half, and now they're they're crushing it with high interest rates, Without letting the market determine what the price of money should be, that's not a free market. When the, when the, when the Congress gives all sorts of special interest uh, groups to give uh, subsidies, even things we might like, like a, a home mortgage interest deduction, which favors that interest group relative to others, that's not free market. So when we start thinking about free markets, what free markets would look like, free markets would not have the government involved in our economy at all, with the exception of the standard things. uh, The government is there to uh, prevent fraud, uh, to have courts where you can adjudicate uh, uh, disputes and contracts between uh, uh, individuals that freely engage in contracts. You would have uh, ability of people to make trades with anybody they desire, Uh, If it's not an illegal act such that it would make no difference whether one's trade is with someone in China or whether it's with someone uh, in Indiana, Uh, because the individuals, if they find it in their their interest to trade, should be allowed to trade their goods for another good. So so those are some of the reasons why we know right away that what we have is not necessarily uh, a free market Uh, as F.A. Hayek, Friedrich Hayek, uh, Nobel Prize winner, uh, said. We are so far uh, uh, beyond uh, a free market, and I'm, I'm butchering this is a paraphrase, not exactly what he said, but we are so beyond a free market, uh, nor as even uh, you know China, he wouldn't say China, but the, 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 the communists of the time are not purely socialists. What we have is, is, he says it's interventionist chaos. and i I think that describes a lot of what we have going on in our economy america is relatively more free than other countries but if if we were to 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 point people to say what does a free market economy really look like it would have been hong kong from the post-world war ii period until Mm -hmm. the the, uh, 1999 when the communist chinese took over right uh where, where people could and we saw the really the explosive uh growth and freedom in and what really had only one advantage is the port city. You know there are a lot of port cities in the, in the world, but none of them grew like Hong Kong could because they didn't embrace economic freedom. Uh, and, and so that's that's an example of what a free market would look like, uh, which unfortunately, thanks to the communist dictatorships, crushing of freedom in uh, in in Hong Kong. Now that's that's gone away. Uh, so so that's some background. so so getting our terms right of understanding. What's a free market is important so, so now you said what, what th- that's an example of what a free market's not when we see all that government intervention. let's think, what what are the essential essential attributes of a free market well, well first of all, you know private property is, is, is the essence of free uh, markets because if we truly believe in private property and, and I would argue that private property is a, a biblical concept and biblically endorsed. Uh, So so there's a moral worth towards private property. If you want to, we can talk about it later. Uh, uh, But private property, in essence, means that when I own something, it is mine to do whatever I want with it. That suggests I am free to enter into a contract with somebody else because I own my own labor and I should be able to contract uh, with it. So, so, so uh, states, for instance, that do not have right to work laws that say for me to be able to enter into a contract with somebody else, I have to be a union member. That's an infringement on my private property rights on my own labor. Uh, when, when someone tells me I am not allowed to find somebody in Mexico that I want to trade with because they're in Mexico and not in Texas, I think that that's an infringement on my private property rights. And what happens, the essence of private property rights means we can do whatever we want with a property. Uh, uh, Cole may remember this, uh, but I, I am a former hot rod kind of guy. I still like to play with cars. But, you know, so, so uh, one of my laments as a young man, as I, I was into Oldsmobile's and, and I found a junkyard that had a, a rare 442 Oldsmobile in the junkyard and it had some cool parts on it. And literally, I went and try and buy it and they didn't care about selling it to me and they were letting it rot in the field. I didn't like that because it was a rare part and I could have used that. But they had the property right. If they want to, they can just let it rot. Mm. And and, and the rest of us that don't like it, uh, we can go pound sand because it's their property. Uh, and so, if it's not uh, immoral or they're not using their property, like if I have, have property in a baseball bat, it doesn't mean I can swing it at your head, because that would be an immoral act. And so, so there are there are limits on property rights, but if if the behavior is otherwise legal, then we should have no constraints on the exercise of private property. And this is where economics kinds of kind of comes to bear, is because what we learn in economics is the 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 source. Of all value creation is in exchanging uh, goods and services, and indeed labor and other things from lower valued units to higher valued uses, and that happens precisely because of differing valuations. So, so what we know about it, 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 let's leave aside production, for instance, and let's just say we have a natural endowment, and each of us has you know a certain amount of goods. If we get together, you and I are almost certainly, if we become friends. We're going to see what each has, and we're going to—I'm going to look with a, uh, an eye, and, and I'm going to see that that uh, Mr. Buteau has some cool stuff that I would really like, and you're going to do vice versa. And we might find a way to engage in trade. Say, look, I'll give you this if you'll give me that. Hmm. And what will happen if we were to find such an exchange that we both agree to? Here's what we would know with certitude, and this is this is the most powerful aspect of economics because we know it with certainty. If we can come up, uh, up with an agreement that both of us voluntarily agree to, to exchange our goods and services, we will both be made better off. It must be true if it's hmm. a voluntary transaction because nobody that we define as a rational being is going to exchange something to make themselves worse off. Everybody trades to make themselves better off. Therefore, the more, as, as Adam Smith told us so long ago, the gains from trade are only limited by the extent of the market. And so when we have private property, when we're freely around, allowed to, to exchange it, then we're, markets will necessarily emerge. We don't need a government to tell us to make a market. We, we just need governments to stay out of the way because uh, Adam Smith talked about it, that people have this propensity, as he says it, to, quote, truck, barter, and exchange. And and that that, that I have heard a semantic criticism one time that says people don't actually have that because some people do actually like to dicker or or do the deal. But rather than saying we have a propensity to truck, barter and exchange, we could say simply we have a a desire to increase our well-being. And by trucking, bartering and exchanging, we can often make our position better than otherwise would be. And so markets tend to emerge and free markets are just simply characterized by the lack of any prohibition on our, our exchange possibilities that are not against other moral laws that we mm-hmm. might have. So, that's a broad overbrush of how we would define markets and, and and so forth. So, I'll stop and let you digest that a minute and ask any follow-on questions. Uh,
3: just a quick question. I don't mean to send this into a whole another direction, but just um, as far as when you're talking about free markets and the U.S. not living in a free market now, um, did the introduction of fiat currency play a part in that? Because, you know, you, before you're talking about exchange of goods of value based on differing valuations, and now you've got this p- paper that has been deemed as worth a certain amount, and but in and of itself, it's not worth anything.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a mixed answer with that, and I think it's a very good question. I will say for certain that fiat currency, currency as managed by our Federal Reserve has led to a a, Mm -hmm. uh, further reduction in freedom simply because their mismanagement of our currency has led to calls for increased government action to to overcome the mismanagement. So like I blame the Federal Reserve as being a large part of creating the mortgage bubble that we had in 2007, 2008, along with bad government policy. But when when we had the great financial crisis, that has seemingly led to only increased government regulation and increased responsibility for the Federal Reserve, which I think that they uh, did much bad things to us economically by setting a zero interest rate policy from effectively 2009 till, uh, you know, almost the present till the recent inflation. They, mm-hmm. they did a brief uptick t- uh, for a little bit in 2018-ish when the Trump economy got roaring but what that did was tr- cause a tremendous misallocation of capital in our economy. Uh, and 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 that the, the bigger problem than that is effectively they made the price of money zero, which put no penalty on our politicians from spending like drunken sailors when interest rates were effectively at zero. And we should not be shocked that our national debt exploded during this time. Mm. Uh, so so I, I think it's bad. I, I wouldn't say that fiat currency itself Necessarily leads to that. I think that's where you're pointing to, but I certainly think the implementation has led there.
1: And does someone have to manage it? Are you saying it's because it's been mismanaged? Yeah. Would you be in? Someone has to manage it. No.
2: Correct. No. No. That that's the biggest thing. If 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 I were uh, uh, the dictator of the United States, I uh, I would get rid of the Federal Reserve. We didn't have a Federal Reserve for uh, you know until 1913. Yeah. You know, we had a lot of good free market economics. The banking system. Here's here's the thing. And I ask your listeners to ponder this question. Uh, Most conservative kind of freedom loving people think the government getting involved in setting price controls always leads to disaster. And it does. I mean, whether it be rent control, whether it be minimum wage laws or whether it be subsidies for for, um, you know, commodities or whatever, it always leads to a misallocation of capital and bad results. And we have historically done that less than most, although we've had lots of stupidities in our country. Uh, But here's the thing. sound economics teaches that we should not have price controls. That leads to bad results. And yet the most important price in the economy is the price of money, because money is on one half of every exchange in an indirect exchange economy. And so when we set the price of money wrong, we are distorting the whole economic sector. And so so I would prefer to have no central bank and and let the market uh, set the the price of money. uh, And then I think we get the correct allocation of capital. Uh, And and you can see that. So, so for instance, I assert to you there is no way we would ever had, like we had in the last decade, companies like Uber and Lyft and all these and WeWork and all these money burning uh, pigs. uh, You know, they may yet turn out that that's not the point that they may not turn out. But you would have never been able to, to fund things that promise ginormous returns in the future mm. without basically uh, free money being given there, the, mm. such that out-year payoffs. One of the things, and I should pause for, the listen, just trust me on this if you're not a financial per, person, that, that the cash flows that the company can can give back, those returns are more valuable in the future if the interest rate is lower relative to a higher interest rate. In a higher interest rate world, we want the returns to be sooner rather than later. And so so the idea might be, so. and this is not true, but it's a rough illustration for our listeners. If you have a choice between an investment today that's maybe an expansion of a steel mill in Ohio, and it's going to give me a 6% return over the next three years, you know, uh, in a high interest world, we may like that over this alternative investment that promises to make me you know, uh, you know, a million dollars a year, like ten years from now, uh, at six percent. But let that that million dollars a year company uh, uh, twenty years from now be at an interest rate of of half a percent. And those cash flows become relatively more valuable. And and I'm not doing the math. This is an exact example. But just trust me, you can look online and see how you do present value calculations. Cash flows in the future become more valuable, which is why, and this is where every one of your audience members will understand, when when the stock, when the Federal Reserve starts cutting interest rates, you know what the stock market's going to do. It's going to go up. And you know what the bond market's going to do. It's going to go up. Every single asset class is going to benefit from lower interest rates in terms of its valuation. But, but uh, it, there's still going to be relative improvements of some relatively outperforming others. And so that's why we've had such an explosion in technology stocks and like, which which just burned money after burned money, loss after loss, year after year. And yet the markets kept giving them large valuations because those out-year promises of future earnings were relatively more valuable in a future uh, cycle. So the Fed has effectively restructured the economy. and. Uh, there is a a great book that's uh, not like me. I mean, it's not. This is not from a conservative evangelical free market type. Uh, Chris Leonard wrote this. I have assigned it in my class. The Lords of Easy Money: How the Federal mm-hmm. Reserve Broke the American Economy. Chris Leonard, a New York Times writer. New, let's face it, New York Times writer is not my typical writer, but he's looking at the same things about how the Federal Reserve policy has benefited some businesses at the expense of others. And and so so that's what I would have. I would get rid of the Fed and and I, I, I think markets could do it better. We have mm-hmm. done it in the past and we could do it in the future.
1: Interesting. So we are not in a in a free market right now. What's been the timeline of that? Where how do we get here? Um are there other free markets
2: in the world right now? Well the whole world is moving less free. Uh, and, and I have not looked I, I will confess I have not looked recently uh, there's a couple of groups that put out the index of economic freedom. I do know that the US keeps falling on that list relative to other countries, but I think relatively all com- countries are getting more in control of of things for lots of reasons. Uh, so so there are very few examples. Uh, Singapore would have been one of those uh, really free economies for a long time. But you never know where it may change. It's it's interesting when you see uh, when things get bad enough, people actually might do the right thing. So it was interesting in the Argentina's recent election. They've had crony corrupt politics since like the Perón uh, uh, family. Uh, you know, I think that was like 30s. I could be wrong. I'm not the historian, but... Mm-hmm. They, uh, I do know that Argentina was a wealthier country than the United States, similarly situated in the 1800s, and now we're far because they have embraced really bad policies of kind of government running the economy and 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 one interest group being pitted against another interest group. But in their recent election, they just have uh, had the most votes uh, for president. It's it's not, and I don't understand their political system. I haven't looked close enough. It's not the final election, but the the leading sure. candidate was a libertarian. Who wants to to get the markets free? <laughs> mm. Which is you know who knows? They feel it I, enough after trying everything else. They may yeah. actually try the right thing. We'll see. Yeah, fascinating.
1: So, uh, Dr. Heyman, uh, the the essay that I was referencing at the beginning is one where you talk about uh, you're you're talking about common grace in general and how that's how free markets are a manifestation of that. Um, and then you specifically uh, mentioned that. Um, the value of free markets, one of the values of free markets is that they help uphold the moral order of a society. Can you explain how they do that specifically?
2: Sure. I think uh, for all of your audience's benefit, we should briefly define common grace. And and the theologians would make a distinction between what we call uh, special grace or saving grace, which is when someone uh, trusts in Jesus Christ as their savior, as God works in their heart, uh, to lead them to repentance and belief in Jesus and what he, he did on the cross on our behalf. That would be a saving grace because then they would uh, uh, be regenerated, uh, become believers, and they would be part of God's adoption, adoption into God's family. That That's what every Christian wants, everybody else. And if you're a, a listener of this podcast and you are not a believer, we hope you will consider that claim because that's what most everyone needs. Nevertheless, we believe that God also has a grace that accrues to all humanity. And and, and that's called his common grace, both to believers and unbelievers. And this common grace are the good things that happen to all of us, virtue of the fact that God is a gracious God. He gives us things we don't deserve, because uh, while many people think about uh, why do bad things happen to good people, the Christian perspective is is just the opposite. When every Mm -hmm. person is effectively a rebel against God, uh, because we sin willfully against his righteous standard and, and in effect are shaking our fist at it, we ought to marvel on how is it that God even allows us to live for another second, right? And God gives us the gift of 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 life. He gives us the gift of sunny days. I'm I'm here in Ohio as we're having this conversation. And today it's about 78 degrees when everybody else and sunshine, when everybody else is complaining of a heat wave. And mm-hmm. and so so that's that's a good grace from God. Uh, Matthew 5:45 talks about God sends His reign on the just and the unjust alike. So, with that background, we know that there's there are, there's a grace that God extends to us that we do not deserve, and everybody benefits. So, the the pri- probably the primary example of that is is found in Romans 13 when when we get the institution of government established. And even though I've been criticizing government's involvement in the economy, nevertheless, God government is God's ordained instrument to be what what Romans 13 calls about, the avenger of evil, uh, the bearer of the sword. In other words, the uh, police, you know, that kind of thing, we punish evil. Uh, that's what the state should do. And, and it was what we talked about earlier, the state should be able to enforce contracts. If people make an agreement, that helps our market and things like that. And, and so so uh, when, when God God's words that calls government a minister for God, we think that's an, an example of God's common grace. So the, the the paper asks this question, are there things that are, are not explicitly uh, stated in scripture that are implicitly part of God's common grace? And that's the, the intent of my argument was to make the point that, or the article was to make the point that, yes, competitive free markets are are similar to that role of government in that they both constrain the evil that one might do in a market as well as reward the good behavior that might be done in the market. And, and the key was not just uh, uh, a market itself, not just capitalism. The key was competitive free mm-hmm. markets because in, in a fallen world, we know that people will exploit other people if they have the opportunity. That's why we don't typically like monopoly. We don't like when we have a single service provider because they tend to run roughshod over our interests because they want to greedily exploit us. But, but if there's competition, if they're truly greedy, then they really need to serve us well because we will go to their competitor in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, my, my former professor, Walter Williams, the great economist from George Mason uh, University, God rest his soul, uh, he uh, used to say, uh, if, if I go into my grocery store and they don't have what I want, I'm going to fire them, uh, you know, because they need to serve me well. I will go to their Now, the reality is most of us won't go to our groceries, leave our grocery store if they don't have one item. But let's say we go in there for, for like two months straight and we can't find anything else on the shelf. <laughs> We're done with them. <laughs> we mm-hmm. know we'll go somewhere else and they're not serving us well. So So let's say even the greedy people in the world must necessarily serve well. And, and that serving well is not is not just to make a superior product. It's to stand by their product. It's to have integrity about what they produce. That's why you see a number of really good what we would call in the common vernacular good people, although in God's sight, they may not be good. They're nevertheless doing good things because the market rewards them for being good by serving us well. And so so we, we know that uh, uh, we don't care when we go to the doctor for surgery. We don't necessarily ask if someone's a Christian. We want to know, are they a really good doc? <laughs> that's what we want. We want a great surgeon. And, and, and it's an act of God's common grace that he allows unbelievers as well as believers to be able to be successful and serve well for our overall benefit. So constraining evil, that's what I was just talking about, even the, the, the greed that they might have. And markets tend to do that. But but let's look at that flip side and kind of sort of alluded to it, but let's let's go further with that. The things that we would call good virtues, honesty, integrity, and so forth, those are cultivated in market settings because to the businesses that tend to do those tend to be rewarded. So so we, we, it both constrains our, our evil tendencies and rewards the best that's in us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because nobody, well, maybe a few people, but very few people wake up and say, well, I can't wait to see who I can rip off today in, in business and see how I can make a quick buck. A few do, but that's not many people. But 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 uh, when when you get a reward for doing the right thing, uh, economists, uh, one of the things I like to say in my economics classes is the first law of economics is scarcity. And the second law of economics is incentives matter. And so the, the incentives, the positive incentives of profit are, are such that they guide human behavior to get us to do the right thing and And the free market is 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 precisely that sort of economic system which allows that. so so that's my basic claim. Now, let's consider the alternative because I think you asked me to uh, riff for a minute on the alternative. The alternative is 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 in government service. and and uh, there's an old joke in in the in the communist system in Russia uh, that the 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 Russians would say, tell on themselves. They would say, in the communist uh, enterprise, we pretend to work, and they pretend to pay uh because there was no incentive you aren't rewarded for your behavior Mm -hmm. and so you just might as well slough off and do whatever you want and so they had incredibly low productivity and because Mm -hmm. they were incredibly low productivity economy they had little goods and services to be able to buy so therefore the pay they got was was they pretend to pay they didn't get much purchasing power with it because there wasn't that much to purchase yeah
3: i think about that law a lot I think about incentives matter. That comes up in more than just economics discussions all the time.
2: Well, yeah, but, but I would say actually no, more more broadly, because economics is about the science of human choice. We typically mm-hmm. think about it in market settings, but you're right, uh, other settings beyond ec- what we think about markets, all sorts of human behavior. Uh, and it's interesting. And I, I'm just, I'm I'm going aside from what you, you were trained, but. Uh, Nobel Prize winner Gary Becker did a lot of work in that, uh, the economics of marriage, <laughs> economics mm-hmm. of race relations, all these kind of social kinds of things, because incentives matter and it guides our human behavior, how we choose. We respond to those incentives just like you were asserting, Cole. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Dr. Heyman, you,
2: you,
1: you think it's pretty clearly illustrated through history that um, that people are a better rewarder of good behavior than that, that the market and that people are a better rewarder of good behavior and constrainer of evil than the government in terms of involvement in economics.
2: Uh, well, well sir, I mean, that's the result of history. You see that free market economies have, have, have grossly outperformed uh, command and control economies. There's no doubt. Even, even the communists long acknowledge the socialists long acknowledge that they would make the case that even if uh, capitalism does outperform, and Marx himself, Karl Marx, he marveled at the productive capacity of the capitalist Mm. system. In his mind, however, the capitalist system was only appropriate for that era. And see, he assumed, and he talked about it in his writings, that we would have the new communist man. He thought that there would be a change in human behavior uh, just in the communist system, and then people would start to produce and work hard just mm-hmm. for the, the overall social good, which we, uh, as a Christian, I would reject that because we know that people are still, even if you're a Christian, you still have a fleshly nature, and that is not going to change until Christ comes to renew all things. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and that's what we see actually happening. So when the communists actually tried to do that in the socialist economy, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics it just did not work out. For some reason, the new communist man did not arrive. In terms of behavior, and, and it never has. And so, uh, the 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 kind of the uh, standard uh, critique around capitalism and and defense of socialism, those arguing in favor of socialism say, well, we will point all these these epic failures, and they say, well, that wasn't true socialism. <laughs> it just hasn't yeah. really been tried yet. And, and I might agree with them actually. I might agree that true socialism hasn't hasn't been tried. But here's the point that they should be forced to confront. Uh, the reality is to the extent true socialism hasn't been tried in your mind, maybe because it is impossible to true, have true socialism be tried in a fallen world because corrupt people are always going to uh, corrupt it such that it's not going to get there. You're never going to get your new man so, so, such that when we have start to have case after case, country after country, time after time, it's tried and failed. The burden of proof has got to be on the socialists to say why is this time going to be different before we lend to the utter mm-hmm. chaos and decay that we see in every attempt at right. socialism previously. Right.
1: So, do you expect any any major major trends changes in the coming year years that we should be aware of? What's going on right now? What do you expect uh, in the I
2: mean, coming the, years as far as our market in the U.S.? Yeah, the I mean the trend are negative. I mean I'm I'm as as as, as negative as I've ever been. In that regard, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings, but, but we've got a real problem because we no longer have a party, a political party, in favor of free enterprise. The Republicans are sort of in favor now, uh, but but the Democrats are totally hostile to free enterprise. They love planned economies. They always have, uh, at least over the last 100 years, roughly. Uh, but Republicans, uh, Mr. Trump, started the trend, and it seems to be accelerating. Uh, Very few voices. And there are still some of those conventional free market types in the Republican Party, but they're they're not getting the press. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, so so even on the debate stage we saw last week, uh, we keep hearing about bring the jobs back. And let me riff on free trade just a minute to explain this uh, for your your audience out there. Uh, You know, this idea that we want to somehow bring these jobs back is wrong on on a number of fronts. And let, let me hit just a few of those. Uh, first of all, we've already argued that 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 I ought to have the freedom if I want to exchange with somebody in China and Mexico. And nobody here has any right to tell me I can't trade my property to somebody else for their property. Under what moral right do you have to do it? So I'm making a moral claim that restrictions against free trade are immoral because that's a violation of property rights. Uh, but But we understand how some people might not like the fact that I can trade with china because i can buy something more cheaply that i might be forced to buy from an american uh and, and so that's the basic argument and and i see all sorts of arguments well, what if what we outsourced your job heyman uh you know <laughs> you see those kinds of things all the time uh but you can't outsource everything and here's here's and this is where gains from trade come back up we have tremendous you never help one party without hurting another. So let's just do an intellectual thought experiment. And then I'm going to finish with a real world example for your, your listeners. So, so, so we, for some reason, politicians love export industries. They love them. And and I love them too as an economist. But here's the here's the thing. If I'm going to export some finished goods to Mexico, do you know what Mexicans need to buy my finished goods to Mexico? They need dollars. I do not want pesos. I only want dollars. So, for them to be able to buy my exports, they have to have dollars. Well, the only way that they can get dollars is to sell us goods as as our imports which we pay for with dollars. Hmm. So 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 when we uh, and this is commonly known. So so when Mr. Trump tried his tariffs on steel, for every, one study showed for every uh, job that was saved in the steel or aluminum industries, we destroyed seven jobs in mm. steel using industries. And, mm. and, and, uh, and, and here's, here's the more, more important thing. This is why it's really, really bad. It's not just one for one. It's a destruction of value for our economy. So our export industries tend to be our most productive, our most profitable industries, our growing industries. The ones that we would be protecting are the losers of the competitive market process. So what we do is consistently try to socialize the losers and punish the winners, making us poorer as a country. It's not merely helping one at the expense of another. It is shrinking the total economic pie and making America less productive and not more productive. And so nobody sees, this is what Henry has said so many years, the seen versus the unseen. Nobody sees the harm that was caused to other other uh, parties. I, I will tell you a, a, a little story that is a real world of this, which I kind of love because uh, it's a right here in Ohio story. So uh, uh, Whirlpool was ad- agitating for some of Trump's tariffs. He, he loved all the t- tariffs. Whirlpool as a company was loving tariffs uh, here in Ohio uh, because I guess Samsung uh, was eating their lunch on dishwashers or, or something like that. Maybe dryers, washers, dryers uh nevertheless so, so they advocate and they got some tariffs and what happened as as usual so the samsung and i'm th- these are made up numbers but they're not far off the market some of your viewers go back and look it's not unrealistic to what was the, the main point is it might have went from eight hundred dollar dishwasher to thousand dollars or eleven $1, hundred making now the uh the uh whirlpool uh, dishwasher more cost competitive, and what do you think Whirlpool did while well, they raised their prices? So us as customers started losing. But here's here's the irony, which I absolutely loved when I saw this article in one of the uh, financial press. Uh, a few quarters later, Whirlpool was uh, reporting lower lower profits because uh, the input costs for steel had went up so dr- and other things because of Trump's tariff mm-hmm. went up so dramatically that even though the price of their their output was going a higher price, their input costs had went up higher than their output costs. Mm. so they were losing money by the tariffs. So, so I loved it when their ox was gored because they were happy to to hammer the consumer, the American consumer, and then, then it didn't even end up benefit them. So that's mm. that's just kind of a thing. Uh, free trade is, is is a loser all the way around. I am open by the way. There are standard arguments in favor of, hey, there might be some protection for national security reasons. But let me finish with this. And I'm going to give one quick uh, verbal for your, your audience uh, but on free trade. And then we can get to anything else you want to say. So so uh, in in uh, we recently had the chips bill. Right. And that's that uh, here in Ohio. I'm in Ohio. And, and Columbus is going to have this fantastic new production facility, of uh, uh, semiconductors. Well. We did that in the, in the aftermath of COVID. Spent 50 billion dollars, and I am here to predict right now, almost with certitude, this is going to be a money losing. We're going to have piddled uh, away billions and billions of dollars now, uh, and for a minute uh, in, improvement in total semiconductor capacity. Because here's the thing: right now, the old, right now the facility is not online. The world is awash in chips. Chip prices are plummeting. We did this decision when they were all-time highs because of a temporary COVID-induced uh, shortage when everybody's buying all these computers so they can game at home in their basement. Uh, that that was a temporary thing, and, and now all this capacity is coming online. And and by the time this facility up here in, uh, outside of Columbus comes online, it's gonna be it's gonna be a loser. Now now it's gonna be, and, and it may make money. That's not the point. It. That facility itself may, but some other chip facility will be the loser because mm. there's going to be way too much supply relative demand. And, and and even on the national security basis, as I recall, and this could be wrong on the numbers, I may not be exact, but it's, it's representative again for your audience. It was only like, I, I think if we had 14% of the uh, US, the world supply of chips, this only takes us to like 15. <laughs> it's not like it's... Wow. The, the, the real thing we need to do is put a, a strong defense around Taiwan where most of the... The world's semiconductors are made because you're not. We, we just need to stop China from invading Taiwan. We have a real national security and economic security need to make sure there's a successful Taiwan uh, semiconductor industry. Uh, so, so, so that's the way planning works. And I could give you ca- uh, case in case after how this works. And for your audience outside, uh, they will often talk about the trade deficit. You know, well, you know, how can we keep selling to China when when they never buy from us? And and that's clu- uh, kind of not a good idea but and I, and I don't have time to to kind of show but let me just illustrate with this here the trump attitude was if we don't have a trade surplus we're a loser here's the analogy for for your audience i'm going to play donald trump i am such a loser i just keep buying on amazon And and they keep selling me these good deals and I buy from Walmart all the time and they keep selling me low prices every day. And they never, ever, ever buy any of my economics lessons. I'm such a loser because they just put something on sale and I bought some more of it and they got my money and they didn't buy any econ. I just keep losing. Oh, (laughs) woe is me. And the reality is I'm stopping being the Donald Trump logic path because it's fallacious. As is, is, is each one of us as individuals know, it's, in, it's irrelevant whether I have any sort of balance with Walmart ever. As long as my balance mm. uh, at the end of the day is positive yeah. uh, overall, my net worth, I'm OK. And, and then they say, well, hey, but our balance of trade is negative overall for the world, not just China. That's true. But that's because we have a capital account surplus because uh, the rest of the world wants to keep investing in America because we're such a great place to invest. So the balance of payments always balances. And, and even if we run a trade deficit, the very name is what kills us because people think naturally a deficit must be bad. No, a deficit is not necessarily bad. Uh, the only time it's bad, and this, this is a longer argument we could get into if you want, is, is, is if they're able to invest in our government treasury bills because we keep spending so much as government. That's the real problem, not that we're having imports from China or anywhere else, because we export a lot. People act like we never make anything in America. Oh, the productive capacity of America is, is amazing. We produce a lot of capital goods, uh, very high technology, much more intensive today. Uh, it's, it's, it's simply untrue that we don't produce a lot of manufactured goods. Uh, but I don't believe we want to get back to making textiles in America. So that's another story. OK, I'm done ripping for a while. What What's next on your questions?
1: A lot of good stuff there. Um, is it accurate to summarize? you know we can we can start to wrap up here yeah. um, and really appreciate your time. Lots of good stuff. Is it accurate to summarize uh, your thoughts on just the the quality of a planned market by saying it it's just there's too much going on. It's too complicated for one one mind, one person to be able to effectively balance it all?
2: Yeah. You know, what you're quoting, and, and that's a great comment, that's the uh, effectively what Von Mises with his is as central planning is irrational um, and and uh, or whether Hayek's knowledge problem that there's it would take an omniscience to uh, to be able to determine. But I, I like something that Nobel laureate uh, James Buchanan said that makes that even adds to that critique. The market, and Hayek later in his uh, his article, uh, competition is a discovery Pro- uh, problem is also suggestive of this. many of the the knowns that we assume in economics that 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 the state must operate on have to be discovered by the market process. There's no knowledge, it's not that they don't have the knowledge. The knowledge can't come out until you have the market market process. So so let me give an example. Mm. I mean this is a true example for you. This was 15 years ago. So I wonder ba- back in the day before we had all these wonderful new hamburger joints. <laughs> my favorite hamburger joint was Wendy's. And so I would go into Wendy's and get a burger. And And, and one day I go into Wendy's, I'm going to go get a burger. And you know what? You know how they have the pictures of these good tasting food. And the pictures always look so good. At all your restaurants. Right. So Wendy's had had this, this big pictures. So I'm standing in line new spicy chicken sandwich <laughs> This is 15 years ago and, 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 and i says i like chicken i like spicy i had no idea i wanted a spicy chicken sandwich until i saw that them marketing to me and i go up and i get a spicy chicken sandwich and i liked it and that became my new frame. i had no idea no central planner would have been able to and, and this is kind of the short answer to this uh, this is a great critique of socialism At best, even if you could overcome the knowledge problem and and Mises' critique of irrationality, you would be stuck with the state of play of where you were. There would be no basis for innovation and creativity to grow, to expand, because the Mm -hmm. market is a place for trial and error to find out what those true consumer preferences are. And so the central planner has no way, a central planning board simply cannot do that. Under what basis? Uh, so so uh, and, and even if they try, let's say that you give them a mandate to try. Here's the problem with that. You know, uh, it's not as though government doesn't try all the time. I mean, Joe Biden's telling us we, we think there's a market for Green New Deal and, and on all this stuff that people don't want. And 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 obviously, that we, you, well, a lot of people want it. They, they voted for him. Well, they don't have not voted for it with their money uh, freely to invest in it. If, if there was a real market for there. Uh, what we what we know, know about Wall Street is they're pretty greedy and they can raise a lot of money to invest in major, major tens of billions of dollars of investment if they think it's profitable. If this were truly pro- profitable based on market demand, you'd already have it. Even now, we're seeing a crashing and burning as articles out of oh, the last week and a half on the EV industry in China collapsing because China said that they wanted to make all the EVs. And they're making them <laughs> as a money-losing pit that it's turned out to be. Uh, yep. Industrial policy simply does not work, hmm.
1: Dr. Heyman. Uh, between you know, just the the value of a free market to be able to help an economy thrive, the the value to uphold the moral order, um, where we're going in the future, what's going on right now. If people can take one thing away from this conversation, what would you have them hold on to?
2: Okay. Well, uh, I, it's not from this. Co- uh, conversation, but let me rip to a positive. I've been fairly negative because yeah. uh, the, it's it's not been encouraged. Hey, it's helpful talk. to be aware of where we're I, at. I, I'm I'm gonna I give a quote from my former professor, uh, Dr. Pete Becky, used to say, and it may be roughly paraphrasing him. Say if the gov if if the Smithian horse from gains from trade, Adam Smith, and the Schumpeterian horse of creative destruction, entrepreneurship from Joseph Schumpeter, can outrun the government horse of stupidity, we'll be okay and 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 what i mean by that is we it's amazing uh, how much entrepreneurs are still able to thrive and be innovative and and uh, and if we can do that we will be okay we just need people to buck up get in the market and and do it uh ludwig von mises is the great free market economist you say how do you know whether you still have a free market economy and and he said if you have a stock market if, if, if people can still be rewarded and allocate capital, now I, I have criticized that a little bit only because the Federal Reserve kind of influences the valuations on that. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, if private allocation of capital is still generally possible, so we're mostly free, I mean, I admit it, the government's doing a lot of it, uh, we'll, we may be able to outrun the government horse of stupidity. And indeed, I would say it's an imperative that we must do so if we're going to to continue to have a uh, successful uh, economic future
3: awesome.
1: uh, then yeah go ahead how are we on time that's fine keep going okay,
3: okay. just a quick question on that A thought i've thrown around you know which is kind of ironic because i'm in mortgage and this might put me out of a job but i as far as entrepreneurship goes and um if with a desire to create a freer economy. I've been thinking about what that could look like as far as lending goes, lending, you know, a mortgage, but maybe outside of the typical Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type of loans. And I'm wondering, I mean, is that just something that is just gonna have to be like hard money, private money loans and It'll be more expensive for a time being, but it is possible. Or what do you, what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're making a great point. I mean, none of us get to live and we can imagine in some free market utopia, but we don't get to live in that world. Uh, we live with the world we have and, and, and we still need mortgages. You and, and those that are in that industry are providing a value added service to help people get into homes and so forth. Uh, but But it is absolutely true that the government distortions on that industry have led to Uh, not what would likely happen. There's no doubt the subsidies reduce the cost of of mortgage finance such that, uh, and yet we also have a dilemma right now where there's been far too houses uh, built after the housing crisis. And so we have an undersupply of housing. But that's in part because uh, what we have uh, by these low costs, we've had an explosion of, of, you know, say 30 years ago, the typical house, might have been, uh, you know, eighteen hundred to twenty-three hundred square feet, and now the typical house is going to be three thousand to thirty-five hundred square feet. And so, if you got the government out of the business of doing it, you're still going to need mortgages. It's going, to, but people won't be able to afford it as well without the subsidy. Interest rates would be higher uh, that they'd have to pay if you didn't have government backing that. But right. what would happen? They still need houses, but they're going to learn to live with a, you know, a twenty-eight hundred square foot house instead of mm. a a forty-two hundred square foot house. Uh, So so I think that that's uh, the likely direction because everybody still needs a place to live. Uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Great. Well, guys, I'm going to cut us off there. Um, Appreciate your time, Dr. Heyman. Lots of really good info. And thanks for joining us today.
2: Glad, Glad to be with you. And thanks to your audience for humoring me if you've listened to this long in the podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to Work Is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else, leave a review, and listen next week.